You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we will talk about some games that we've played recently, some games that we're looking forward to. Uh, our topic today will be rule books, and our top three will be space themed games. We are recording at Demolition Games, which is located in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you're in the area, we highly suggest that you come down and check out Demolition. And this is episode 14, and we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Justine. I'm Matt. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we will uncover our top... Sorry, I was trying to... <laughs> I've been watching those dumb... Uh, Unexplained phenomenon TV shows, and I was I was trying to be a narrator for it since our since our space show <laughs> spooky it didn't work though. You know, sleep is very essential to the strategy board gamer's brain. Did you guys all sleep well last night? No, <laughs> I slept okay actually. Surprisingly, I got a new pillow. Nice. I bought a new pillow from Bed Bath and Beyond. It's got memory foam in the middle, down feathers all around it. I know what you're thinking. That sounds like a $60 pillow, but it's only 40 bucks. That's wow. nice. That's worth like three and a half, 50 points a game probably. Yeah. Of sharpness. Yeah. We're going to change our name to Bed, Bath, and Board Games. <laughs> <laughs> I love the it. Only, I only, the only show in existence that talks about board games and feng shui. <laughs> I was thinking in terms of board games, it's an entire board game you spent on a pillow. I hope you feel good about it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I used to measure like uh, things in other things, um, sometimes food actually growing up uh, and like or something like donuts or something, you know. So like, you know, I was thinking like in terms of like measuring like. No, give me an example. In terms of board games. Like uh, this, I could have spent this money on like board games, for example. So oh, like if you buy like how many board a games TV, like yeah. this is like six board games. Or gotcha. like if you buy... Justine wants to go to Disneyland and I'm like, $770 for plane tickets? That's, that's like, like 12 board, board games. Board Are you 12, crazy? <laughs> yeah, that's 12 board Exactly. So you measure everything in board games. That's that's the idea. That's the conversation <laughs> we had last night, in fact. It's, it's a little bit obsessive. Yeah, don't, don't think about it too much. When you did it with food, was it like... Uh, it was just like a, f a food item we used to buy in high school, actually. So, like in terms of like how many uh, pastries you could buy, that's I don't okay. know. It was a weird thing. It just reminded me of that. <laughs> that's I mean, it's true. That's how we think, right? Yeah, I I definitely think that way. Even I, though I do want to go to Disneyland, I didn't. I just bought a pillow. <laughs> 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 I needed one. When you said sixty, I was like, "That's MSRP for a board game." <laughs> that was yeah. actually my first thought. Um, I can't re recall the last time, like any previous purchases of pillows. Though. That's the strangest thing. Like, why did I have I never wondered where pillows came from? <laughs> they just kind of appear. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know whose they were before. Anyway, we are a show about board games, so we will actually talk about them starting now. All right. Uh, so we're going to be talking about games played to start with. And the first game that I played this week was Terramara. Mm -hmm. Terramara has been a game that we've all been looking forward to for quite a while. 
Um, it kind of went on the looking forward to list from me to Justine to Matt, I think, which was kind of interesting. We only played it one time. We played the rules kind of wrong, actually, or not the rules. The rules were actually right. The, I misunderstood the cards, and I think it makes the whole game invalid. But uh, it was a very interesting game. I really liked it, I think. I need to play it again. The theme, as I expected, does not really come across very well. It's there, but it's just kind of... Mm. Uh, anyway, but the game is cool. I think it's a really neat mix, mix of um, knowing like perfect information, everything being on the board, and a little bit of a random element. I kind of wonder if everything's balanced. I kind of wonder if the random element is too much, but I really liked it as a first play. I think, uh, well, Justine and Brandon played it with me, so I don't know if they have anything to say about it as well. I'll never play it with you again. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, uh, I scored really highly, but I think part of it is because of a card which was misinterpreted and it was way more OP than it should have been. So I see. Yeah, because it could have you could have taken away at least like thirty points. I think it was not like, not substantially ridiculous. Well, amount, thirty points. It still so it was like substantial s- seventy three seventy four one sixty. Yeah, but still <laughs> no. It, yeah. I mean, that's good to know that it was um, misinterpreted. I'm glad to know that. I'm also glad to know that I got all the rules right. First go. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I like this game. It's uh, designed by the other Italian guys. As I, we should probably learn <laughs> the their names. Because they're like, they should be... One of them's <laughs> a lady, too. They should be... Oh, that's even worse that I'm calling them the other guys. But uh, I think that they're like coming up... On their own, right? They're no longer like Padawans. Mm-hmm. If they ever were, I don't know. Their name is first on, if you look at uh, Lorenzo of Magnifico, I think their names are first and it says with Simone Luciani. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're more important than we think. They're definitely yeah. more important to me. Now. Yeah, I'm sure they appreciate being called the Italian guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, yeah. I, I don't think we affect them very much. No, one's called Flamingo Bascalini. I don't know. <laughs> flamingo, really? That's it's pretty, off by wow. max. One syllable. It's pretty much Flamingo Bascalini. That's. I think that's unusual, even for an Italian name. But I don't know. It's yeah. not Flamingo. <laughs> okay, and I apologize. I was gonna say Flamingo. What? I was gonna say. I think they prefer the Italian Maybe guys. Maybe Francesco or something. Anyway, but Terramara was cool. Any back to my yeah. concern about Terramara is you know how Lahav it kind of has the same thing where all the commodities are tiles, which they come out as an unrefined side and you can flip them to the refined side. Well, in Lahav, each side has its own identity or whatever. Like a cow isn't food till you turn it to meat, but it can't breed while it's meat. And there's all these dimensions and they have different behaviors. In Terramara, it's actually just linear, straightforward, two steps boringness. You just have this worthless pile of wood that you just simply need to take a turn to turn into Goodwood. Okay, now I can start playing. I don't know what the point of making it two steps in Terramara is. There's a little bit of balance of like making sure you don't end up with a whole giant stockpile. Because the more resources you have stockpiled, um, the more likely people are to take some of them. Because they can take a percentage of your resources. So you don't want to just let your stockpile of um, unrefined stuff grow to a thousand. But you're not going to anyway. To me, it's just a two-step process the game makes you do for kind of no reason. The reason it exists is to make the character which I played with OP because (laughs) he uses unrefined. So it's like 
making other people have to do extra steps. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, I agree. That aspect was kind of really straightforward. What it did, though, was introduce major AP towards the end of the game because you're trying to use your resources completely, and part of that is converting them. So instead of just like figuring out which resources you can use, you're figuring out how many of them you can convert on top of that. So it's just like really AP-inducing towards the end of the game. Yeah, it seems like it throws you piles of different things and you you kind of have to AP to make sense of it. And like, what am I going to do with eight of this, three of this, three of this, two of this? Not just that, but also like how to convert three of them, you know? Anyway. So the cards are, you buy them with refined properties mm -hmm. and maybe it's an extra step because it's kind of a race for those cards. So yeah. if you're not choosing to refine your, your, uh, your resources, then you're not buying those cards. Oh, you're right. You're kind of announcing kind of like in Splendor, when you start grabbing black and red, people know that, Hey, now I'm going to go for that. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I that's think that's true. Fine. I, so sorry. I think we should talk about like the main thing that makes this game cool is how it was advertised was that you can, you have, um, six lines of worker placement actions only one is available during any given round except that's not true um well there's one for that round but you can send your workers to later rounds you just won't get them back so you start with four workers if you send one to like round three at the end of round one you're only getting the uh three workers you put on round one back i mean it seems really cool and I think the game's gorgeous. The game itself, the production is beautiful. I was kind of underwhelmed. I I don't know. I, maybe it was because I, I talked it up too much. I was just kind of like, yeah. I was going to say, I actually did not expect that to be the main draw for me in the game. I thought it was just a thing. And like sometimes those ideas work out, sometimes they don't actually. In this case, I actually don't think the future actions are that good. I think it's more like awkwardly pushing people forward if they don't have military power, which enables you to place in the same round with other people. So it's like awkwardly like pressing people forward out of the round if they can't afford it, which is kind of weird. I don't know if you, I don't know if you're going forward f for like the good stuff you're getting or that there's no good stuff in the current round. Right, right, right. I agree. Thematically, it's kind of funny, right? Because they, the reason why you're not getting them back until a certain round is because they forged ahead, and so they're like ahead of you, like they went mm -hmm. and ran. But then, how are they giving the resources to you? Do they have just a good throwing arm? Teleportation. <laughs> you know, it's aliens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There you go. Got it. <laughs> yeah, this almost made my space theme game. So Something to do with the Bermuda Triangle. Vortexes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like it. Um, okay, so this week, uh, Matt and I got a chance to play Welcome to Dino World. Um, so this is, it's kind of billed as a complex roll and write. So um, it's in the same vein as, you know, roll and rights. However, in this one, you are building a dinosaur park. And how this works is every round, someone rolls three dice. You use those dice to do things in your park, like build a pen with dinosaurs in it, build paths, build attractions. Um, you're competing for guests that want certain things in your park. Um, you also have to make sure that you power the electric fence on all of your dinosaur pens, um, using generators. And that's a really neat puzzle. Um, I think it's really cool. We haven't had a chance to play the advanced variant, 
which I'm way looking forward to. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really neat. Yeah, I think Roland Rights are kind of maybe evolving, re-evolving back up into full games because I've played some burn, brain-burning Roland Rights recently. Like this is, I don't know, twice as hard as Carcassonne to me. Like this is like a full game. You just happen to be writing on a little sheet of paper. Um, Clip Cup Parks really makes me stall and think hard and hurts my head. That's the funniest thing I've ever seen is Matt playing Clip Cut Parks. It <laughs> is so funny. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's what I heard about this game is that it's actually more complicated as far as a roll and write game goes. And uh, that was kind of like people's complaint, actually, was that it's like too um, complicated. Did it? Did the rules feel complicated or just the strategies? No. Strategies, yeah, the, the rules are yeah. straightforward. Oh, okay. It just throws a bunch of endgame goals at you. You have to balance and you gotcha. just have so many considerations per dice. Mm -hmm. So the cool thing, I've only played it two player. I'm looking forward to playing it um, more than that because it, they do kind of a between two cities kind of thing where the only visitors that are eligible to come to your park are the ones to your left and to your right. So like that you share with your left yeah. and right hand neighbors. So you're only really competing against your left and right hand neighbors for your visitors. So I think that's cool. And like you get to choose I think I can't remember. Do you get to choose? We haven't played it with more than two. Like which visitors go out? No, it's random. Oh, darn. Okay. Less cool. <laughs> um, so this week I finally got to play Ark, right? I've been wanting to play for a long time. And also this week I played Brass. And why I'm comparing them is they're based on the same IP, so which, to speak. Which Brass? Uh, Birmingham. Birmingham. Cool. Um, Quick side note, I think I'm always going to play Brass Birmingham. I'm one of those people that thinks it just kills Lancaster, even though it's only slightly different. I'm just going to always. Lancaster. Lancaster is a house in England. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, it's also a city in California, Lancaster. And Pennsylvania. That's where the Amish I, people live. I bet everything's a city in the U.S. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> there's like Paris. I don't know if there's like Lisbon. There probably is, I bet. Oh, Sorry, I'm sure there's completely one side note. <laughs> um, anyway, so there's this guy named Arkwright, right? And he's the one who made the first meals and launched the Industrial Revolution. And he's a playable character in Brass Birmingham. And Arkwright is named after him. And they both kind of highlighted some of the same things from that era. Um, they both have supply and demand markets that are just iterative. They're slowly changing. And you need to capitalize on what other people need to make money. And uh, they both kind of evolve from like 1770 to 1810 as like railroads happen, right? So I was way excited to play Arkwright. It's basically just like the coal and iron board from Brass Birmingham blown up into an entire game. But I ended up really not liking it because uh, <laughs> there's not enough to make that whole game as it turns out. It's too much of a simulation and uh, the game just kind of plays you. What it turns into is adding 8 plus 8 plus 6 plus 5 in your head like 250 times and then the game's over. So I think it's best, that kind of thing is best like a board game condiment, not like an entire meal. Yeah, I was going to say it. I've looked into it before and it kind of looks like an accounting game. Like maybe I'd like it. I don't know. I'm in finance, but I don't <laughs> know if I really want to do that as a game. It seemed more like as a job or something like running a spreadsheet and like supply demand calculations and salaries and how many people are you going to need? And like right. It almost wasn't a game. It made no concessions to gameplay. It just wanted to simulate what actually happened. Yeah. Um, 
Brass has a cool thing with turn order, right? The less money you spend, the earlier you go in turn order. And so there are cool tactics. Well, Arkwright almost hides from tactics because it wants it to accurately recreate how the yeah. supply and demand evolved over those 40 years. And the the weird thing is I actually like simulations, like business simulations. That's actually something I really find interesting in games, but that one like is kind of too long from what I've seen. But I don't know. Maybe well, I should try it someday, nevertheless. And maybe we should try 18xx games because I've heard yeah. that those are kind of spreadsheety, spreadsheety <laughs> and simulation e And... Um, but now that I've played this, I'm maybe not as interested as I was because if there's if they're like this, I don't want to play them. I think we just coined a new term. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, okay, so I'm gonna probably butcher the name. The uh, <clears throat> Nokosu Dice. No, that's probably right. Nokosu. I don't know. You don't speak Japanese. Don't, I don't speak Japanese. Alex no. called it Nokosu. It might be Nokosu or Nikasu. something. Um, anyhow, this N-O-K-O-S-U-D-I-C-E for people that are like, what? D-I-C-E? How do you spell it again? Just, just kidding. Dice? I'm, I'm just kidding. That, that's um, a joke. It's a Japanese game and it means to leave behind or over, which actually makes sense because it's a dice drafting, trick taking game. Um, you're going to have cards in your hand and you're going to roll dice and you're going to draft them. And what are you draft? The dice are colors. So you'll draft these dice and they're going to act as cards, like just like the cards in your hand, but they're in front of you. So on your turn, you could either play a card down or play a dice down. The game itself is a very basic trick taking game. You lead and then you follow if you can. And then you would, uh, if you can't, you could play one of the trumps. The interesting part, thing about the game is the when you're drafting the dice what tells you the trumps is the one leftover die that doesn't get drafted it's going to tell you like the the color and the pip so if it's like a red three that's going to be super trump after that it's going to be the color just red after that it's going to be the number just all threes are going to be trumps the dice that you draft as i said you could use as cards but the one left over is going to be your bid for the, the round. And the points are, if you matched your bid and you were alone, you get more points. And the more people that were matched their bid, they get, you get lower points. But uh, the game was interesting. And uh, I, I think it warrants more plays for me. There is definitely some more interesting decisions on playing dice because you the the die left over is going to be your bid so like which one are you going to leave also sometimes there's no control like so you have a a green four and you're like okay th this is going to be my my bid i want i'm gonna i'm gonna take four tricks and you don't have have any green cards in your hand and somebody plays a green you have to play that die and now maybe you're left with a six and now you have to do six tricks you know that sounds a little um, concerning yeah well, I, was, I was gonna say i'm not sure how much control there is um i mean people might argue that if you think a lot you can get control and actually maybe the drafting phase might change the more we play because people are taking high numbers but they're not necessarily good um 
it's an interesting game actually but i question sometimes because of other people's decisions how much control you have over what you have left that was my biggest question when played when i was playing it mm -hmm. i think you just try to if you're if that's the bid that you want that a die in front of you you try to have those colors on hand you know so you're not stuck playing that i don't know very interesting system though yeah i mean i think they did a good job of innovating trick taking which how, like i i always find that it's like like how much more innovation mm -hmm. can you put into a trick taking game i haven't seen a whole board game made of a trick taking trick so i don't know uh yeah nokosu nokosu dice if i just um, say it faster maybe it sounds better nokosu dice. <laughs> nokosu dice there you go Anyway, um, actually, there was a board game called Radiant by a Utah designer. It went on Kickstarter. It's a trick-taking game where you play tricks for areas to control areas on the board, I think, or move through them. Kind of interesting, actually. I played it at uh, International Games Day at the library three years ago or something. <laughs> anyway, um, my next game that I played uh, this week was The Expanse. I've previously played The Expanse just one time. I was really pleasantly surprised that someone actually bought it in our group. I thought I was like the only fan in the world of that game or something. Um, very pure area control game with Twilight Struggle-like mechanics where someone can choose the card for an event or for action points, exactly the same system as uh, Twilight Struggle. And then it passes through the other people in a set order and they can do the event if someone chose the action points. Uh, very simplified kind of just scoring based on majorities around the solar system. It's based on the Expanse TV series, which I really like and those people really liked actually. That's why they bought the game. Um, the theme doesn't really come across very well, so and it's not going to make any sense to you probably if you haven't watched the show, so it's that's probably why the game is not more popular. I really like the game, actually. I got really wrecked as far as scoring in that game, but it was really fun to play, and I'm looking forward to playing it again um, sometime. I liked it maybe more than the first time I played it, actually. I had a lot of fun with it, so The Expanse. Uh, expansion is coming up as well, by the way, which adds some a little bit more flavor to shake up the game, I think, in a very good way. Because right now it feels a little bit scripted. I think the expansion is going to change that. The expanse is expanding. Huh. Yeah, I that's expansion. hilarious. That's actually, they, that's like a missed opportunity. They should have called it uh, something clever. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, when I played this game, I thought it was really well designed, like really tightly designed, but not fun at all. But... I hadn't seen the show beforehand. I, I've seen the show now. Maybe I should try it again and go, oh, the theme doesn't really match mm, the game. It <laughs> kind of slightly do does fit, but it's not very strong, I think. But yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of weird. It's a very kind of dry game. Yeah, it's pure area control with pure... Twilight Struggle follow mechanics. Mm -hmm. So nothing too exciting going on. It's just constantly like fighting against each other for majorities the whole time. Um, so this week I got to play Heaven and Ale with the kegs and more expansion. So um, in Heaven and Ale, you are brewing beer. Um, 
that's not a very thematic game, I don't think. Um, and how you're doing that is you are moving along a track and you're picking up tiles that you're then paying um, for to place either on the sunny side, which is going to get you the elements you need to brew beer, or on the shady side, which is going to give you more money. Um, I really enjoy this game. It's by Kiesling. Kiesling. And okay. Kramer or just Kiesling? Kiesling and somebody else. Oh, oh, is it not Kramer? Uh, I'll keep talking. Okay, about anyway. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure it's Kiesling and someone else because I thought the other guy actually like probably, um, anyway, yeah, anyway. Made, made the game worse than... So, <laughs> Andrea Schmidt. Yep. There you go. Blame that guy. So, Girl or whatever. So in the base game, um, there's lots of really interesting decisions. You can go as far as you want on the track, but of course you can never go back. So if you're hopping ahead to get the good stuff, you're forfeiting all the bad stuff. The scoring mechanic's really cool. I won't get into it. Um, what kegs and more adds in is you've got this sideboard and as you're hopping along the track, you get to pick up as an option. Instead of picking up a tile, you can pick up kegs of beer and hay. Um, what you do with that is you drive around town and you deliver um, the beer to taverns. Um, I, in the game, thematically, you're running a, a monastery that brews beer, which is a huge thing if people aren't familiar. It's like a big, big thing. Wait, that's a real thing? What, the monasteries brew beer? Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, they grow a certain type of yeast on the rafters of their um, houses. And so whenever they need to replace their roof, they have to do it like year by year, board by one board at a time to not yeah. kill their yeast cultures. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't, I thought this was like a comedic thing, like no. monks brewing beer. No, it's big. But they, I yeah. like the game even more now. There's like a, the Trappist monastery in Germany. That's what Matt's talking about. They replace their rafters, one roof rafter at a time because they need to give it time for the yeast to culture the rafter. That's neat. Yeah. So anyway, um, so you're hop, you're, driving around town and you're delivering your beer to these different taverns. And that's another way to score points. Um, I think this is definitely like a must have expansion. A lot of times I don't feel like they're must haves like expansions in general. This one I think adds a lot to the game. Um, it adds a different decision. Um, I think it makes the game a little bit less tight, which is kind of nice, honestly, because of that. There's that other option. You can take either the kegs Sorry, excuse me, either the kegs or the tile. So you're not sitting there worried about every tile you want getting taken before you can get to it. I felt like it was more tight. I because I was there's a separate board for this in your 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 donkey, as Matt was calling it. We we still don't know if it's a horse or a donkey, but it's pulling a, a carriage. And in the, the rule book it's just calling it a carriage. But there's a dice that's rolled and it's put on a particular spot in a particular way. And when the last person uses it or when a person uses it or passes it then it's re-rolled and put in a spot in front of everybody that is going to move your carriage and that's how you're going to deliver these kegs and whatnot and it gets you certain points and when you surround sheds then you're going to get like kind of special things happening right when you do that that part is definitely a little bit more loose because when you surround a shed you don't just get a couple of resources or money you actually get a thing so now there's a real decision of um where what shed do i surround which definitely ha makes it more interesting but i was just pushing that donkey around and around and around delivering a bunch and then i look at my board and i'm like i'm not brewing any beer uh 
yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get zero in this. And Matt was like, oh, I'm not brewing beer either. And I shouldn't have said anything because Matt actually brewed beer and I barely did. So like, it just felt more tight. Cause I would like the, you have to balance these two things or pick one or the other, I guess. Yeah. I'm thinking you have to pick one or the other now. Yeah. You don't think it's a balance of doing a little bit of both? Well, in order to get enough storage on your donkey cart, you do have to surround sheds the old-fashioned way. You're going to have to make probably four sheds to get to the really fun delivery squares on the sideboard. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I think it's way tighter because you still have to get some tiles. The cool part is there are sometimes concerns that um, the five tiles and the one tiles, you know, the polar ones, are overpowered. I think this makes just twos, threes, and fours better because they are just tiles that you can use just as warm bodies, so to speak, to surround enough sheds to get more storage to actually do the donkey part. Mm -hmm. And if you're the only one going for the donkey part, I bet you're going to win because there's so much donkey food and kegs just for you. Oh, that's You can just go around picking up all the donkeys. And And you're going to grab the dice every time too. Right. And you're going to get all of it. So it's kind of like the masks in Teotihuacan and then that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure it's so interesting to have um, the two different things, the kegs and donkey food that you need to balance just because it's so easy. Like there's kegs and donkey food everywhere. So it's kind of like Terramaro where there, it's just two steps for one thing. And mm-hmm. I don't well, know they could have just had kegs in my opinion. I think the idea yeah. is you're looking for those spots that have both because you can, when you pick up the kegs and the, the hay, you pick up everything on that square. So you, that's the idea. Yeah, you're right. That is the idea. I think also to have storage tighter, right? Cause mm-hmm. you have to store these things, but yeah, they could have just made the storage smaller. <laughs> and it's pretty small already. Anyway. Uh, this week I played Maracaibo and great Western trail and kind of got to compare them. Um, uh, so in Maracaibo, you only go around four times and in great western trail you go around and around and around hitting your same spots towards the end so immediately maracaibo seems more fun it doesn't overstay its welcome it also seems more fun because there's more randomness uh the end game goals are slowly revealed round by round um you have to make do with whatever cards you draw a lot more Whereas Great Western Trail, you're making one big overarching strategy and then it gets less tactical towards the end. Um, but Maracaibo in no way like replaces Great Western Trail. Great Western Trail is still just a way different game that's way fun and is probably considerably better than Maracaibo. It's just more serious. How many plays are you guys up to on Maracaibo? Five. Four or five, yeah. Is the story... Like, are you getting sucked into the story? No. (laughs) I was going to talk about that. So I still want to play the story because I kind of like that element in games. I've talked about that before on the show. Um, The choices they make in this story are so dumb. Like, one of the things that really irritates me is if you're going to give us choices, make the choices mean something. I Mm -hmm. don't want to spoil anything. But on two separate occasions, we have deliberated as a group playing the game made a choice had our choice gone through a round had the answer be oh no you made the wrong choice go back and try again oh, that's awful <laughs> twice 
I would have rather seen this game with modular expansions, you know, like like Snowdonia Master Set kind of thing, or Glenmore Two, where you just like throw in Me whatever too. you want, whenever you want, rather than like the story is going to trigger different things that come out. And I don't know. I didn't care about the story at all, except for when I was reading it. I had fun. I just like have mm -hmm. fun reading story elements and games. It's exactly. fun to me. But um, yeah, this one didn't like, I didn't care. I like forgot that uh, like, you know, partway through the game, I forgot that there was somebody that needed medicine or something, you know, like I, I just wasn't. And the game would be um, so zippy without it. In between every round, you can have to read a card and then readjust the board and look for tile L14. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, for some reason, I actually don't think the story is too con consequential. That's maybe why no one cares. I think they should have. It's like in a weird space where there's a story, but like it kind of doesn't do anything. You can completely ignore it. I feel like they should have made the story like really change the game or you have to do this thing in this one round for people to like care and be invested in it right now it's kind of like eh, i can do this like story objective or not i can just like skip over it i mean it introduced like a storm or something uh spoilers which everyone has to go through but the other things you can just like ignore and some of them don't work with your strategy in a euro game so you're like not gonna like switch your strategy for one round to something that you don't care about it's like what and maracaibo kind of totally dictates your strategy because they give you yeah. a starting card with three goals you have to meet and then a starting hand of cards that you can't try and swim against and so yeah. if the cards if it doesn't deal you cards that need to concern yeah. the story you are ignoring the story yeah. so i feel like you're you're like doing something inefficient in a euro game to just have fun which is a really weird offbeat decision but that's the main point. It was fun for me. <laughs> I think the whole point of the story is just to add in a little extra something. I don't think it's meant to dictate your strategy. I think it's kind of you're meant to do it if you want. Don't do it if you don't. I mean, they're, they have cards where it kind of works like a module expansion where you can play any of the chapters so you can add in the different tiles that do the different things depending on what you want they have ones that are no story just easy medium hard um i think the story's fine because like there's nothing that says oh if you don't do this you lose so i mean you could completely just ignore it yeah. and i can be playing the same game of maracaibo and my goal can be to move the story forward and his goal can be the to get the most points we can right. play for how what we want to do it and then you lose but you had a good time i lose anyway so but you didn't know what was going on with the story <laughs> that's kind of how the, the game winner. plays actually yeah but i mean you know a lot of the times um so how you move the story forward is you complete story quests and a lot of the times someone has a career card that requires you to have quests completed so i mean that's going to happen no matter what really yeah, I think Maracaibo was um, an interesting experience, and I feel like it's not going to be a Fister classic. Mm. I definitely like Great Western Trail better. I love all the DNA from all the other Fister games, though. It's interesting how every single element, you're like, oh, that was just like in Mombasa, that was just like in Blackout Hong Kong, and then he kind of made a cool Frankenstein. A uh, game that I played uh, last Friday was Tramban. 
T-R-A-M-B-A-H-N. I think it stands for like a tra- tram line in German. Mm. You're making uh, tram lines. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the game is really abstract. It's a two-player game. Uh, they have pictures of trams, horse-drawn at first, then steam-powered, then electric. And you're thematically going through these phases and they're just worth more points the game actually is kind of like very reminiscent of lost cities which is another really cool game i thought it was very interesting the way it played out kind of surprisingly maybe better than i thought by reading the rules kind of a weird german game that kind of flew under the radar a couple of years ago um only two-player game by the way um, the game is centered around building a sequence of cards from 1 to 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, like in order, kind of like Lost Cities, and there's like 10 scorings in the game. And the big part of the game is basically building a long line which scores effectively twice and a lot of points, and it's multiplication scoring, so you're like delaying scoring to score higher later, or to rush scoring in the game before someone, before the other person can do that. Um, kind of a clever, cool two-player game. I really liked it. I'm looking forward to playing it again. It has some luck, obviously, like Lost Cities, but just as much fun to play, I think. So, Tramban. Is this a Cosmos two-player game? Uh, Is it in the Cosmos no, two-player line? It's no, it's a weird two-player game. I'm not even sure who. It's like... It's a low print run German game. I can't remember the publisher, oh, okay. but I don't, I don't think it's Cosmos. But it does feel feel a little bit like Cosmos. Yeah, it's a that kind of vibe. Yeah. When you said the name, I, I thought I could see the cover in my in my head, but I'm mm. probably thinking of something else. I didn't think it was Cosmos. I didn't see the Cosmos logo, but I don't know. I I can look it up, but whatever. Anyway. Probably not because those boxes all look exactly the same, right? Yeah. So, I mean, not the art, obviously, but they all have a very similar style to them. I think you would know if it was. I played a 21-year-old game. 21 years ago, this game came out from Splatter. And then Capstone recently, uh, last year, reprinted it. It is called Bus. Um, Bus is known to be one of the grandfathers of worker placement. The worker placement is reminiscent of dominant species. As I hear, I haven't played dominant species, so I can't really speak on that too much. But you're placing workers out from A to F, these little spots, a bunch of different spots, and then you're resolving from left to right, but A through F is going to be the the... A is going to be the best thing. Gosh, I'm having a rough time explaining this game. When you're going to get certain things, place routes out, um, vroom, which is actually a spot in the game where you're just going to basically pick up people and drop them off. The actions are going to be better from A to F, but you're going to resolve from left to right. And sometimes the A to F is F to A. So, yeah. It's a route building pick up and deliver yeah there's some more stuff thrown in there too the only mechanism in my mind is it's just a knife party you're just screwing your neighbor (laughs) knife party that's correct that's a new mechanic in board game geek knife party (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) i'm editing the page today i mean it's not take that but it is backs 
not backstabby, but it's yeah. front stabby. Front stabby, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, yeah. that's front exactly stabby. it. Because yeah, somebody does something and you're like, "That you stabbed me <laughs> <laughs> right in the neck." I like that knife party. Um, typically, I don't know if I would like these types of games, but I I really like this one a lot. Me too, and maybe it's just because we come into it with the expectations that it's going to be really mean. We know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't get mad at anybody. It, yeah. I mean, I pretend to get mad at people, right, when I'm playing the game. but um, uh, And it's all player-driven for what it's worth. There aren't any dice. There aren't any draw cards off the top of the deck. It's perfect so, information, game, yeah. mm-hmm. except the information which is he- hidden within your player's heads. Mm-hmm. So that is more entertaining than yeah. a deck trolling you is your neighbor trolling you uh this could very easily cause a lot of people to have ap including myself at times because you have to look kind of at the entire board before making decisions Mm -hmm. and there's a very trolly mechanic where you can stop time so you could stop time and there's a little dial that's telling you where these people want to go they want to go to work they want to go home they want to go to the bar apparently that's all these people want to do ever. <laughs> um, also, if they're across the street from the bar after work, they're just going to walk there. And you have to see where everybody's routes are going. And you, oh, man. It's just like a, it's a brain-burning game that I can see why people would not like it because you're figuring out the perfect thing and then somebody just screws it up very easily and you get zero points from that round because of what they did i was gonna say the game is kind of a little bit too griefy for me there's a lot of griefing mechanisms in it Uh, my argument is that the time time stop mechanic is uh primarily a way to grief not really to get points for yourself but like ooh, other people are going to score too many points well they better not so like i'm just going to stop time so they don't whenever i've done it it's to minimize the differential i'm turning a terrible round into just a merely bad round yeah i suck this round so everybody (laughs) else else is gonna suck suck too yeah (laughs) the game is full of mechanics like that and uh, in my opinion actually it's like more griefy than like other splatter games other splatter games you're like doing a lot of things to like benefit yourself in this one it's kind of like you're doing things to just ruin the game for everyone including you because you get minus one point by stopping time right you so, take these really pretty stones in, in a game where like the winning one. score could be like eight points so it's like one eighth of your score could yeah. be like a griefing mechanism anyway stopping time is a great way to end the game when you've got too many people ap <laughs> it's one of the in-game <laughs> conditions yeah all the stones are gone and there's been times and i'm just like i'm just gonna take these because i'm done with this game (laughs) um i have seen though when somebody was going off route by themselves you know going towards the four so Mm -hmm. when you place out buildings like that's an option to do you have to place them on spots from one to four and four is like on the outside of the board so if you're going in that direction, it's going to take a while for you to be able to do anything with, with uh, those spots. But a player went in that direction and ended up being by himself, and he stopped time because it was actually more beneficial to him because he was delivering to spots that existed on his side that were all taken up on the like community route mess. You know, um, I think we're 
adding in new BGG mechanisms. Griefing? <laughs> Route mass. Uh, no, gr- grief, griefing is not a new thing. Maybe for board games yeah, it is, but in, in video, video games game it's thing. definitely not a new thing. There's like, uh, griefing is very like popular in um, like online games. It's oh. just like, it's just going into games to like ruin other people's games but and I- your game, but you're just like, you just, you, you basically like, it's like playing against your own team, like those, like those kind of things. Uh, thematically, this game is more depressing than like Billy Kerr. You only have <laughs> 20 workers and they kind of represent the time you have left in your life. And you just like go around in this cycle of everyday life until oh, up, you're work, out of time. Yeah. Bar. Homework bar, homework bar, die. <laughs> yeah, you. Ha- it's an action point allowance system. So you have, is it 20? Mm-hmm. I think yes. it's 20 actions that are in front of you. With, and you can place as many as you want on on a given round although some spaces will zero out like it's useless to place there um, but you have to place two and one of the in-game conditions is that um, all but one person is empty of actions so yeah you're looking at your tokens and you're like okay this is my life <laughs> and my life is work bar home that's also depressing um, and then one more point Christo always makes is, okay, so there's no randomness. It's completely player-driven. Do you feel like you have control in this game, though? No. No, not really. Unless I'm by myself, but if other players are playing right, nobody's going to allow that. Right, so it is kind of just as random as games that make you top-deck a card. And but then I think happens. you can kind of guess at it, though. Like, I know I can see what's on the board, so I know where you're going i know what you're planning on doing so i can kind of make it work you know yeah it's um very judgy right you are gonna do this (laughs) yeah so maybe i should stop this or plan for this yeah um i feel like eventually we should do like a top three games we shouldn't like but we do do anyway and this would be one of them for me well the argument though is the same as like ba- battle for Rokugan or something. You place tokens and like you should do this. So I'm thinking you're doing this, but you reveal and like you're not Surprise. doing this. So anyway, Puerto Rico, same thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, but that's the idea, right? I mean, yeah. you have to zig and zag, and I'm not using that term correctly, but whatever. All right. So that was games played. Up next is some games that we're looking forward to. I am looking forward to several games, actually, but I'm only going to mention three right now, and I'm going to do them in order of excitement from least to most. Um, Leader Games has a game on Kickstarter that is like Vast and Root, where it's like asymmetric, but I think they're um, adding in like story elements to it maybe like legacy style, it's Oath. I'm not excited for that game. I am excited for... <laughs> it's on the BGG hotness is what he's referencing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's also, Leader Games is coming out with a card game called Fort, and it's by Grant Rodick, um, designer of Cry Havoc, and, and the same artist as Vast and Root, and I actually do like that storybook-esque art that's in those games like kind of cutesy animal figures. Um, but this is like your kids building a fort 
and it's a card game and it's a short card game and there's like follow actions. So maybe reminiscent to like Puerto Rico. Uh, but I'm just very curious on what leader games can do if they're not making a convoluted asymmetric mess. Um, I, I say that half joking. I think those games are really well-designed and really innovative. I just personally don't like them. Um, but I want to like a game from them is the thing. And maybe Fort would be it. Uh, another one is another curiosity game. It's from Pandasaurus Games. It's called Sonora. Sonora. It's a flick and write game. Okay. So we've had roll and write. We've had flip and write. We've had roll and cut. Now we're having flick and write. Uh, sounds like a gimmick, but the... Uh, article I read on it was telling me that it's not a gimmick, <laughs> but that's what gimmick games do. Right? <laughs> they try to tell you it's not a gimmick. Their idea for it was that roll and write games are based on um, like players doing the best that they can with random elements. They wanted to see what a roll and write game would be if you take out the randomness. So this is giving you more control. It's you're exploring a desert by flicking discs, different discs of your own around the board, trying to get the different spots. Your your um, it's a community board, and then you have a personal paper that 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 mirrors the board, but with different spots being good for you and getting special abilities by going to those spots. So basically, if you want the thing on your paper, you're gonna get it if you're skillful in flicking. And so I think that could be really interesting as far as a flicking game goes. As someone who likes ice cool and class, right. this sounds awesome. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The only problem that I can foresee with it is that you can actually flick people and bump them out of spaces, uh, which sounds kind of take that-y. However, it might work in practice it, because it, it's it's a shorter game and it's not meant to be taken too seriously. So that might add a layer of fun to it. And that's really fun in like bocce ball and shuffleboard. Right. Games like right. that. Croquet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's uh, Sonora. The most I I can probably say with confidence this might be the most anticipated game of the year, what I'm about to talk about here, is Golem. Uh, it's based on the 16th century legend of the Golem of Prague, mm. which is a anthropomorphic creature that a rabbi animated starting from a clay sculpture to protect his people. It's an engine-building game in which players take on the role of a Kabbalist. Who is, what is a Kabbalist? Kabbalist. Kabbalist, it's a, thank you. Yeah, it's a... Kabbalah. Somebody who runs yeah. the Dead People Parade, right? I was going to say Kabbalah no. is actually Kab numbers, a numbers science for like Jewish stuff from yeah. what I remember, like the, the 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 religious significance of numbers is what Kabbalah is from what I yeah, know. Yeah, I think I think I'm thinking so. the board game Dead Man's Kabbalah. I think you're thinking <laughs> of that too. Oh, Kabbalah, like C-A-B-A. -A. Oh, okay, never mind. So it's not Kabbalah. Just kidding. Kabbalah no, is, it just is like it's, it's based on Kabbalah. Oh. K A B B A L I S T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, you're creating and growing golems, but if they become too powerful, they destroy everything. This is from Cranio Creations, but what is most exciting to me, that theme sounds actually really cool to me. And 
It, the designer is Simone Luciani and the rest of the team behind Grand Austria Hotel. Um, and in fact, what I read was that Grand Austria Hotel was like the main inspiration for this game, which is kind of funny to get inspired by your own game. But I, <laughs> but I, <laughs> Ooh, I made such a cool game. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I think, um, what Simone Luciani seems to be doing is like going back and redesigning some of his older games, like Marco Polo two mm-hmm. and like Lorenzo El Magnifico, the card game or AKA masters of Renaissance. So I'm hoping that this is actually him going back and redesigning Grand Austria Hotel because I do like Grand Austria Hotel, but I do see some problems with it. And I'm hoping that this will fix it because I want a game like Grand Austria Hotel that I love just as much as his other games. So that's Golem, which is very exciting to me. That sounds so exciting. I hadn't heard of it, but I am in. Uh, by the way, a Kabbalist is a follower of Kabbal, which is, or Kabbalah, sorry, is an esoteric method, discipline, or school of thought in Jewish mysticism. So it's just with numbers. numbers. It has to yeah. do with numbers. Cool. Yep. Uh, did you, that, that's it? That's it. Okay, cool. That's I, it. That um, was yeah, that's amazing. a lot of games, actually. <laughs> uh well, games that I'm looking forward to are uh, actually Zia or Merchants and Marauders. We played Western Legends this week. I didn't really talk about it, uh, but it's a sandbox game. So I've kind of wanted to just kind of play some more sandbox games. Maybe I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, <laughs> Maybe you had a lot of fun. No, no, no. I've... I've, I've uh, I don't know what I said. But there was supposed to be a comma in there. It's yeah, vague depending was, on where the comma was. There was supposed to gotcha. be a comma in there. Um, anyway, Brandon's been... Uh, Merchants and Marauders has been sitting on Brandon shel- Brandon's shelf, apparently, for quite a while now. So I think we should probably look into getting it played because I think it's going to be a pretty cool game. I actually remember reading the rules a long time ago uh, for it, and we just never played it. It's kind of a time commitment, and I'm not sure if Justine and Matt are gonna like it, but I think it's uh, should be a should be a cool game. Yeah, I want a I want a pirate theme game, a pirate simulation, and that this seems like maybe the closest thing to it. Yeah, it may, I don't know how much game and strategy is actually gonna be in it, but um, yeah. I'm more looking forward to the fun factor of it, which I think yep. you are as well. Right? Yeah, I think sandbox games are kind of for the experience. I don't know if you're gonna be looking for balance or whatever. They're just about the stories and just kind of just yeah, sandbox. I'm totally in because I was looking over while you guys were playing Western Legends and was kind of jealous, wishing I had been in that game. Cool. Uh, I mean, it was fun. Well, yeah. uh, tears and laughter. Uh, Another game I'm looking forward to, which is going to be a long time from now, probably is Pacific Rails Inc. It's a Kickstarter that I randomly backed, uh, kind of a very risky Kickstarter because first time designer with like a kind of a younger publisher. Uh, It looked really interesting. It kind of reminded me of the worker placement aspect of Spirium, which is an older game, which not many people have played to begin with or heard of, but uh, kind of placing in between actions and then lifting off workers to take actions. Uh, I can't remember details, but basically also the theme is kind of interesting. You're building, well, um, I should say not that interesting, but you're connect. You're building the transcontinental railway. You're connecting east to west, uh, so it kind of has like eighteen um, xx style of interactions with. You can help other people along with your own 
strategy. Basically, you can give other people points by using their routes, I think is what it comes down to. Uh, it has uh, spatial boards with like terrains and their squares, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. It just looked kind of uh, like a good mix of mechanics. I only hope that it doesn't have just too many weird scoring rules for the sake of having too many weird scoring rules which sometimes happens with with kickstarter games uh but i just haven't backed anything on kickstarter so late uh recently so that looked re really interesting and i was like mm, i'll just do it um another thing i'm looking forward to is actually oddly enough two-player games i'll just put that as a non-specific category um i have a lot of those to play and I found someone who's actually interested in playing two-player games, um, more like deeper or longer two-player games. So that should be interesting. Also, with our upcoming space theme, I looked again at Lifeform, uh, which is kind of like Nemesis, but without so much randomness, basically, is how I would describe it. Uh, kind of like a hidden movement, one versus all game. People are comparing it to like uh, letters to Whitechapel and mm, uh, Specter Ops, you know, like where there's one person playing the alien and there's other people running through a ship trying to fulfill missions and then charge shuttles or something uh, or turn their systems on or something to escape. Uh, basically, Alien, the movie in a board game format. Uh, it sounds really cool. There's actually reviews for it, which I was really amazed because the reviews are coming from these like random people, uh, not from like big people, you know, like Man vs. Meeple or something. It's like random guy in England who I've never seen before and like random people in the US whose video quality was really bad and I was like what so it's just really 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 weird that like they're getting review copies for some I don't know I don't know how that thing works but I, jealous. yeah I'm kind of jealous actually I was like um anyway yeah maybe in our future We're random people <laughs> yeah yeah i know I, I almost feel like i should like message uh email the publisher and be like i want a review copy and i'll choose a video for it but anyway uh it looks cool i'm not sure if it's gonna be like the end all be all of all, of all games but it i've been looking forward to that game for a while so yeah that's my what game's looking forward to was and you never had to buy a bo another book again <laughs> Uh, that's just that, how you do it. You just that'd be amazing. We look yeah. back at this episode as a tragedy. The day we lost Risto. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just play Life Form over and over, and I become this one of those game people has that every single thing in it. I never need to play anything ever again. <laughs> um, okay, so I don't do a very good job of like looking forward to games. I kind of just ping off of what Matt tells me about because I'm usually worried about what I'm playing now. Um, so the first thing is uh, I talked last week about Isle of the Cats and bought it while we were recording the show, sprung that on Matt. It has officially made landfall in the U.S. It's coming in the next couple weeks. Nice. <laughs> so that's exciting. Um, other than that, I finally got a chance to play Brass Birmingham a couple of weeks ago, and I am usually one of those people, Matt and I own the old version of Brass from forever ago. And for the longest time, I was like, nah, I don't need to play the new version. I don't need to buy the new version. We have the old version, whatever. Uh, no, I want the Brass Birmingham reprint to happen. And I want to get that when it does happen. Um, the other one is another cat-themed game, which there are surprisingly a lot of those. There is an entire category on BGG 
called Cats. Um, I think there are three games that are good. <laughs> There's like Root, Isle of the Cats, and this, oh, Cottage Exploding Garden. Exploding Kittens. Exploding Kittens is on there. It's it's not at the top of the list. Um, this one is Calico. It looks a little bit like Patchwork. Um, the theme I was immediately like in. So you're building a quilt. You're trying to build the coziest, prettiest quilt and attracting cats to sleep on your quilt. You're building a quilt for cats? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy Cat Lady the game, basically. There is a game called Crazy Cat Lady that oh, is, is right there? between Root. <laughs> nope, it's between Cottage Garden and this one. Hmm. Uh, just a side comment about Calico. I actually mentioned it a while ago, but... Um, it's a game that I backed on Kickstarter, and actually the weird thing is it was mostly because the designer was at SaltCon like two years ago, and we randomly played like Guy Project, and I actually didn't know that he was the de- like he was a designer. Mm. He was just some random guy that I played Guy Project with. And I saw the Kickstarter video, and it was that guy, and I remember him because <laughs> he was just like really cool. I don't know. He had like really good comments and stuff. And Oh, I thought you were going to say he was wearing sunglasses. Mm, no, he wasn't. <laughs> he, he has a beard and stuff. Kevin Russ, I think is his name i was gonna look up the name but i think it's kevin russ or something it's my what's going around my head maybe anyway uh really cool guys so just actually kind of a side comment about like how board games are sometimes i think like personal contact matters a lot in board gaming um and maybe just because of that like you back games right right or you buy games because you know the people and yeah I have a question about Brass Birmingham reprint. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah. It's just a straight reprint. It's yeah. not. They're not. It's not like they just didn't make enough copies of the they first just, time. Yeah. yeah, got it. Okay. Oh man, it's such a pretty board compared oh, to the old beautiful. one, man. Beautiful. Like I really like the board of Brass Birmingham a lot. I like to think that I'm not someone that gets pulled in by that stuff. No. Like I want the the board with all your tiles on it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes old versus new art doesn't matter so much with this game. It really does. Like uh, sometimes it's not such a fundamental improvement. Um, usually it's all about like miniatures or something, which is feels superfluous. But uh, with brass, also the art on the board is like way better and more immersive. I think than the old version. Yeah, the art on the cards too. Like everything about this game it, um, really helps pull you into the yeah. theme. I think and the coins are a lot better. I don't know if you guys have seen the coins from the old brass, but they're those. It's like the mix the of the gold plastic. chips, the plastic, and it's gold and it's silver. Yeah. Yep. And the gold they're is really bad. Bigger. And the silver is smaller, so you're like, is the gold more? And they're way slippery. Is it like a penny? I don't know. It's yeah, it's slippery awful. like they fall out of your hand. You they're, can't stack them on each other. Oh, and you're supposed to stack yeah. them on yeah. your person to see uh, player order, right? A yeah. game which we played was Africana uses those. That's mm-hmm. like one of the few games which like tiny flat plastic discs. I, hate I don't know if those you remember them. I, I do remember. Panamax yeah. uses them, and I hate them anyway. They, um, they used to be a thing in like 2005, like five six, I think. They had an like era where they probably, were yeah. everything. And then they just like disappeared, probably for good reason. Because they're garbage. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, like, they just feel cheap. Is the big one bad. like a penny, so it's worth less? Or is it? Yeah, anyway. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to a Stefan Feld game, Castles of Tuscany. So I think he's running out of board game names too. Um, we don't know a whole lot about this, but we can suspect things, right? So he just redid Castles of Burgundy, just put it all into one box, right? So I'm wondering if while doing that, he thought of 
fundamental changes to the games that he wanted to make, you know, because he, he designed it like 12 years ago now. So he might be modernizing Castles of Burgundy, which I'm in for. Um, also, if we're moving to Tuscany, now all of a sudden we're introducing something else. This is where the Renaissance started. This is where capitalism started. This is where the Medicis are. And I tend to love board games with Medicis in them. Um, all that being said, if there's one good designer I trust not to capture the nuances of a certain theme or region, it would be Steffenfeld, right? It might just be pasted on. Mm -hmm. But I'm cautiously optimistic about Castles of Tuscany. I wonder how much he had to do with the reissue of Castles of Burgundy, though. I mean, maybe he's very hands-on, but I don't know if it was just like a Leia that was like, okay, we're sick of getting complaints about our components, let's help him. I bet he just cast the check, yeah. I don't think he did right. anything new for yeah. it or whatever. But it might have put it in the front of in his, his mind. Head. That's what I'm right. thinking. Yeah. All right, well, that was some games that we were looking forward to. Up next is our topic of rule books. Justine, what's a rule book? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought of this topic because and we as board gamers spend a lot of our time reading rule books. And um, because of that, I feel like... A, a, we're very fluent in what makes a rule book good, what makes a rule book difficult. Basically, the rule book is just what it sounds like. It's what you read to learn how to play the game. Um, and I know, oh, Christo. Oh, I was going to say the weird thing is I think it's like more than what you read to play the game sometimes. So that's an interesting thought. Like it's not just instructions. Sometimes it's also theme, humor, immersion, yeah, exactly. pictures, um, history. Yeah. And it, it didn't used to be that way. If you pick up an old Aaliyah rule book, it is just, just the facts, ma'am. It's straight yep. business. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then you pick up like the Feast for Odin rule book and there's three rule book three rule books there's the rule book you want to know about viking bean varietals yeah there's the appendix <laughs> which is like everything in the game you want to know about all of this and then there's the card anthology um yeah it is it can deliver theme it can deliver humor i love it when rule books add humor CGE is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. and speaking of alea i think that their actual their rule books are some of my favorite because I just feel like they're um, organized in a way that is just really good. And it has the sidebars. So I you, love the sidebars. Yeah. Oh, so the if you've already read nice. the rules and it's just been a while, you could basically just read the sidebars and and refresh just mm -hmm. that way. Like it, like they made the rule books knowing that like, oh, players are going to forget the rule book, but they're not going to want to read the whole thing over again. That, that encourages me to pick these games back up if I haven't mm -hmm. played them for a while. Yeah, I actually didn't think about the Alea sidebars, but they're a really cool summary, summarization tool that, yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. They're yeah. cool. For like setting up too, like it has, it has the sidebar for setting up. So if mm -hmm. you slightly remember, but don't want to miss something, sidebar, it's good. And those games aren't dead. Carpe Diem came out a couple years ago with the sidebars and it was just a breeze to pick back up after having not played it for a few months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. So our topic is like, what do we look for in a rule book? What makes a good rule book? What makes a bad rule book? And I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like the rules set themselves. So it 
makes it really difficult to read a rule book if there has to be a ton of this is the way it is unless something else happens if there's lots of exceptions to the rule if there's lots of um um unless this if this mm-hmm. I, so i think the first thing that makes a good rule book is the rule set has to be elegant the rules have to be well designed right yeah I was gonna say that's not necessarily a fault for fault of the rule books. Sometimes, uh, yeah, just having exactly. those exceptions, I think it comes down to game design. Sometimes, and yeah, if the game is easy to explain, then the rule book should be easy to write. And uh, if the game has a lot of exceptions, that's not necessarily the fault of the rule book. Unfortunately, um, to me, certain card games and like the pack series, or what I assume like Magic the Gathering is is it's just each little card is like you cut out a section of the rule book and you're reading it at the time. And that's why I don't like games like that. To me, it's just one big giant network of this happens except unless, just kidding, this happens. Yeah. Um, To Brandon's point, actually, um, I really like some aspects of rule books. Like I mentioned, I like humor. I like immersion. I like history. I like rule books to be concise and clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like the back page reference actually as well. Um, that's some games do. Oh, if it has with, like all the iconography on it. And uh, quick I, yeah, and, iconography or if the game involves like a lot of weird steps that are unusual. It's not just people taking turns. Like you go through like a sequence and around that should be on the back page. So you don't have to have the rule book open in like on page four or something where it lists like the steps in around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really good idea. If I mean, if the game needs it, if some games just don't need it when they're straightforward but if it has like a sequence that you run through or modern art for example where it has all, all the symbology for the auctions yeah. and on the back of the rule book it just shows every symbol meaning and it tells you what what the auctions yeah. are yeah i it's also re- really like uh, uh, uh easy to forget rules um sometimes mm-hmm. uh, an example comes to mind is raptor raptor has um it's a two-player game it has like a list of easy to forget rules which are really break the game on the last page and that's a really good idea yeah i need to start remembering to look at bgg pages of faqs and frequently missed rules of games before i play them the first time i was gonna that's say true, faqs yeah. included in a rule book is nice too mm-hmm. yeah that's hard to do though because you need the rulebook to come out for the FAQ to come out, and yeah. well, I mean, <laughs> if you're playtesting it a oh, lot, yeah. Yeah. then yeah. then you'll have frequently asked questions. But usually, Europe has it for like a month before we do, and so there's FAQs. That's um, true too. Yeah, Christo, you said you like humor in rulebooks. What mm-hmm. are your favorites? Uh, my favorites is actually exactly what Brandon said. Uh, I was thinking about CG in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have games listed: Dungeon Pets, Dungeon Lords, Alchemists, Galaxy Trucker, Space Alert. All of them are written in like this kind of whimsical, like you're reading a story style and they're making fun of like themselves in a funny way. And like, Those are like all the same designer. Uh, no. Do you think except it's for one? Mm-hmm. Except for one. All of them were the same. Really? Or if he's just a funny guy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he wrote the rule book though. I think I, he, yeah, that, I, that's what I'm asking. I don't know. I, yeah. I bet they have like really good editor actually, or someone mm-hmm. who like makes that kind of stuff work specifically. Yeah. Because, uh, adrenaline has that as well where, mm-hmm. It has the basically like uh, the, like the story element to it, <laughs> and then over it, it looks like they printed over it, 
ignore all this. This is just a game. Just have fun, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I actually thought that was really funny. Yeah, that was think, really unique. I think CGE just doesn't take themselves too serious, mm -hmm. which is like really refreshing because their games are typically serious, but they just don't take them that serious. As far yeah. as the theme goes, they're like, we know this is attached from, you know, detached from uh, the theme and we're going to make fun of ourselves about it. And that's so great. I want people to start hiring out that editor, that editing team, the same way that we're hiring out, you know, tool to do the art for all the games now. I mm -hmm. want them to start making a lot more rule books than they do. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I really like 51st States rule book. It's kind of the same idea. There's a guy and he's yelling at you and calling you stupid because it goes with the theme. And then oddly, I really like, um, that's a questions rule book. Yeah. That actually, game's not great. <laughs> the rule book is gold. Yeah. That's also CGE. Yeah. 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 No, actually, I was going to, I have the exact two games listed 51st State, and that's a question for like immersion. I, I don't want, I don't know what to call it because it's not really like humor. You're not like laughing, but it's like just, that's a question is like written in a very like Zen way in the way. Like it's like, oh, you're squirrels. And like, but who cares if you go up on the mountain? And like, it's just like weird. Uh -huh. And 51st State is like, they're talking to you like you're, a person from the faction and they're like training you or something <laughs> it's like it's like really weird yeah. it's like okay all right i got this they're kind of showing the theme as opposed to telling the theme they're yeah. not starting in 1648 yeah. blah 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 no that, that's actually exactly right yeah the theme comes across not by them telling you the theme but by them like actually doing the theme with you through the text yeah. which is really cool yeah. i do like uve rosenberg little cartoon character yeah queuing Uwe in says. And, yeah and telling you certain elements of the game that's that's really nice mm -hmm. i like that i like rule books that have pictures and it sounds like so kiddish like i only read books with pictures um but like in a rule book you have to you have to have pictures and show the board state and show what things look like and pictures with your examples are really really helpful right definitely yeah, an extreme example of that is actually the flow chart in Linko. They actually made like a flow chart of mm -hmm. what happens, which is really helpful actually, because if you write that in text, I think it's going to be like, what? Like you yeah. do this, but then if this happens, you do this. And then if that, but in a flow chart, it comes across like a picture is worth a thousand words. Sometimes I also feel like too many pictures is probably not that good though. You need mm -hmm. the text to back it up. But I think like mm -hmm. to Justine's point, just text, which is actually what rule books used to be to Matt's point like yeah. if you pick up a 90s rule book it's like just the rules and text like first player picks up pawn does this pays this then mm. you do this it's like, it's uh, like stereo you, instructions yeah you have yeah. to you have to have like a, it's like a, yeah technical manual or something yeah. uh which is not fun to read and it doesn't come across very well and like if you pick it back up like two years later you're gonna be like what the crap i have to read this from beginning to end to yeah. read redo the game relearn the game we have an old edition of imperial 2030 that hasn't gotten off the shelf and i think that's why the yeah. rule book's ugly yeah unfortunately i actually have imperial 2030 is uh not organized so well not following game flow there are rule books which are still published which actually read just perfectly imperial 2030 is like the rule book is awesome if you read it from beginning to end in one sitting, then it makes perfect sense. But if you're trying to find something in there, it's like just sentences, long paragraphs, sentences, yeah. long paragraphs, no pictures, hardly. So good luck finding like what happens if this tank is like here in this situation, like you're going to have to read the whole paragraph or something. And um, 
it's just not good to pick up later. It reads perfectly if you're reading it beginning to end, not so good to reference later. Um, Buss's rule book is a great example of a nightmare of a rule book. It has like one picture. It's all text. I think what they were trying to go for was like having it look like a bus schedule. So it's <laughs> yeah, they were just going big sheet of paper cosmetic. folded into quadrants, all text. There's like one picture in the whole thing. I had to read that thing. No, I think three it's intentional times, though. I think you're right. And I was just like, what? So sometimes like we talk about adding, oops, sorry, adding theme into That's your, good. into your uh, rule book. But sometimes like, if you're sacrificing the readability of the thing. I absolutely agree. Jamaica is yeah. like a fold open treasure map and it's like not even linear. Like it's like, it'll have like the rules here and then an arrow going somewhere else. Like you're following a map. And not only is it annoying to like have to reference the rule book and like, hold on guys, I'm going to disappear real quick behind this big giant map, but also to try to find where the thing is. I mean, and it's such a simple game that it's yeah. like, why not just have this little tiny rule book to go along with it? But yeah, I mean, maybe the first time you read, the first time you pull it open, you're like, oh, cool. It's like a map. And then it's gone. And then you're like, I don't care about yeah. this anymore. So I kind of wonder with rule books, like, do you think these, the publishers play test their rule books? I mean, we go, th they go through play testing of the game and there's the whole thing of like, you know, they have to have it explained. Yeah, it's called blind playtesting. You're supposed to mail out your prototype without saying anything to brand new people, and they're supposed to play the game and uh, tell you. Yeah, that's like a... If they understood everything perfectly. Should be an industry standard that sometimes isn't followed. But yeah, blind blind testing is like extremely important for that reason mm -hmm. that you're saying. It's like yeah. people need to understand the rule book, and they need to know if the rule book's understandable. Yeah. Well, if you're designing a game, you know all the rules. So, like, I I would also argue that as a designer, you shouldn't write the rules. I agree. Yeah. For um, that reason. Is you, it? Oh, sorry. You might think something's intuitive because you designed it, but it's not, and you explain it in a yep. funny way. Is it Luciani's games that is just notorious in our group for just yes. awful Yes, some of my sets. favorite games were some of the toughest reads. Yeah. And it's... It's just because of the order in which they are, we've talked about this in the past where it's like, it's almost a game to start by reading the rule book and finding <laughs> hidden rules in it. Yeah. Like you're playing an unlock game <laughs> with the rule book of like, yeah, I've missed rules that way before because they're somewhere else, yeah. which brings me to the point where I think that if you're explaining one thing, all of those things should be covered in that section and not later on. I really dislike when it's like a, oh, by the way, this. Mm -hmm. Or we're going to explain this later in a later section. Yes. I mean, it yes. should be pretty much mm -hmm. there. Um, I Speaking of Italian games, um, mentioning rules in italics or examples or not having all the rules in the rule book, like all the icons, is kind of a staple of um, those games, unfortunately, I, w I would say. Uh, Grand Austria Hotel, we missed a rule, I think, well, I don't know if Concerning did, the waiter. did. The waiter yeah. rule, which is explained like in an italics text underneath it's, an example or no, something, if I remember exactly correctly. I know exactly where it is. Anyway. I'm so mad about this. It's a main thing in the game of if you, when you get coffee or whatever, you, you get put resources. it directly on a card. Yeah. That is only explained underneath one of the cards in the um 
that you can get one of the staff cards under the waiter like it breaks the game if you don't know that rule and it's yeah, not uh, yeah it's crazy. Um, especially if somebody has the waiter yeah it really breaks the game because you're like that card is op it broke the game you to don't the have point. to pay for anything <laughs> but then yeah. um then you figure out that nobody really has to pay for anything it's that it adds more efficiency to, to the mm -hmm. game where if you have to store um resources then that's when you have to pay for them but you should set up your cards to where when you gain resources they they have a place to go yeah. right there so you're not paying for it, it which makes it a better game uh, yeah. playing the right way it broke the game to the point where i didn't want to play it anymore because matt just kept getting the waiter card and like just flying ahead because yeah. i had to pay money i think it was actually somewhere in the rules but it was not in a good way um i think actually like people think uh making important rules like a pop-out or like red or like in a box is like a good idea actually sometimes it's like not a good idea because i my eyes just like skip over that section i've noticed that in a lot of games really so if I've, it says important and it's in yeah, red yeah like or like bold no I, you're searching it, for it's weird no because you yeah you're you're, read, you're reading the regular paragraph so it's like regular text so you don't want to like read weird stuff that's to the side or like a larger font or something or like it looks like a picture or something to your head i think uh -huh. at least for me i don't like that um idea of highlighting rules by putting them in a box or making them important i, I can show examples if you're curious about it but i don't know if it's a good idea um Mombasa is another game where there's a lot of these weird small rules in very unusual places. Um, I've seen games where rules are mentioned in examples. I couldn't think of any specific examples of, of that, but like the rule is explained and then the example is like oh by the way you can also do this which is really important and like i was like what so you'd like need to mention it in like the main rules not in an example are you kidding me I, um we played mombasa with trevor like six weeks ago and every week it's trickling in like things he's <laughs> finding in the rule book that we didn't find yeah but i have to be really carefully careful with mombasa because it's like a paragraph of text and everything's important and sometimes it's like underneath or in an example it's just i remember reading that rule book and i was like what the heck this is like there's important things mentioned in a very like casual way mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere for so some i would reason. say this probably falls more under um like ethics board gaming ethics which we talked about but since we're on the subject of rule books i think even if it's a simple game you really need to read the rule books from cover to cover and really pay attention to it i know I that there's some players that will have a simple game and skim the rules because they're like this is simple i don't need to pay attention but even missing rules in a uh smaller game could be detrimental to the game i actually have a pet peeve about that uh i think especially simple games you have to read the rules very carefully because in the euro if you miss some conversion thing or something awkward maybe it's not such a big doesn't deal doesn't the game, game. Yeah. if you miss something in a simple game where the game has like three rules and one of them's wrong you <laughs> broke the entire the game, game yeah. really yeah, really badly and you didn't even play that game at all it like probably I mean, felt completely wrong and off and think about getting something wrong in linko yeah yeah it, it it's gonna just really replayable <laughs> which like the two, two things did you get wrong yeah. yeah there's two mechanics which one did you not do <laughs> yeah yeah um and i think going along with that we're kind of deviating but that's okay um like actually pulling out the game and going through a couple of dummy turns. Um, I used to do that huge. so much. I wish I had the time to do it um, now, but I would, I had this very strict uh, routine with learning, learning a game, which would be reading the rule book 
And if it was a heavier game, I might watch a playthrough, but I would actually set up the game, read the rule book, and then, yeah, play the game. And if I ran into something that I'm like, what happens here in this situation? I could refer to the rule book because <laughs> I would feel more comfortable teaching a game if I, if I become the rule book, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I don't have to uh, thumb through the rules if somebody has a question. I want to be the rule book. So yeah, I, to get it, to understand yeah. it completely. I agree. Um, I was actually mentioning Italian games and let's keep going. How about too concise? Like uh, Lorenzo, for example, it, the rule book has some of the rules. Well, uh, most of the rules, I would say. Unfortunately, questions have popped up and you have to like go to BGG to answer them or like icons weren't clear, I think. The, with also the, icons, the expansion. With the icons on that, it's like it'll show one card that has similar icons and you have to kind of deduct what this yeah. card means that's not in there yeah. but there's so many moving parts and different combinations of brown yeah. cards yeah. and families that right. can throw wrenches and in then that there's example. there are icons that mean different things sometimes the exact opposite thing isn't there the five with the little the five degree Christo said that was uh, an outright misprint. There, there, oh, okay. there are a couple of misprints. I think that's probably one of them. That's more forgivable. Uh, but that is more forgivable. There are some examples for icons as well, like Terramara. The misunderstanding of my card was because I didn't pay attention to the icons, which are not... Well, they have an icon reference, so maybe I should have understood it, but uh, Prodigal's Club is actually that way too. I think they teach you some of the icons, and they're like, well, you're good. You understand what we mean now, and you have to like intuitively understand all the other icons now, which sometimes works. Sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it really can break the game, apparently. So I think that's kind of really dangerous. Uh, Terramara should have had probably a full card reference like Lewis and Clark. Uh, Lewis and Clark has icons, mm -hmm. but it also has a full card reference for all the cards, which there is a fan-made expan uh, expansion, uh, summary, aid. Yeah. player aid for all the cards in Terramara, like I think they sh there should have been in the rulebook. They might do should do that with all those Italian design games. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's We're a like lot a of cards, and those cards yeah. are really important. So yeah. you should just know every single card. Or a full reference for like uh, the cards in Lorenzo yeah. maybe should have been a thing. But yeah. that takes a lot of effort, so I can understand mm -hmm. why they didn't do it. But um, I also think talking about card references, if you're going to put a card reference in your rulebook, don't just write word for word what the card says. <laughs> like cartographers. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that. we've had that problem with cartographers so much. Usually the the card is really good. The iconography on the card's really good, but if it's not, and then you go to the rule book and it's just the word for word exactly thing. what's yeah. on the card, like, well, like, that doesn't that's help. That's a waste of ink. <laughs> um, another too concise example, Cry Havoc had a rule book and you read it and you feel like you have a really good grasp in, of the game and like usually round one or sometimes turn one there's a situation where you're like uh, hopefully i'm doing this right so there's a lot of rule books like that where um root and vast the mysterious manner a little bit like that you feel like you have a good understanding of the game but the edge cases come up like very frequently so i feel like some rule books like try to be too concise for their own good they should have been a little bit longer. I think they tried to avoid being too long, but they kind of need to be kind of long for those kind of games sometimes. There's some there's some family weight games that are the opposite of that, that explain things in <laughs> too, too much, much detail. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, Great Western Trail. Reading that rule book. Don't you remember that? Just I like, don't. Oh, we sat there and read that rule book together in Vegas. And it was just like, okay, we get it. 
they explain the same role like three different times. Yep. Yeah. 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 And okay, I actually it. remember reading Great Western Trail and that confusing me for some reason even yeah. more because I'm like, did I miss something? Why do they keep throwing this in my face? <laughs> yeah. Like, you so, do this, but remember you do this. Yeah. yeah. Like example, this is how this is done. I Which, mean, to their, <laughs> yeah. to their point, maybe they were trying to like embed things into your brain they thought what if we you know repetitiveness will help you remember but which then know. the problem is you start going yada 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 as you're reading yeah and then you accidentally miss things yeah yeah definitely another example was new angeles i think it has like an intro game which is kind of a rule book and then it has like a reference which is after you play the intro game so it's basically like having two rule books which kind of do the same thing i mm -hmm. kind of some people really like that because they can thumb to like there's a nice index basically if you have questions about the action you're doing it's like a really weird style of like you look up the action within an index um, and there's like a a separate rule book which teaches like the game flow which is just yes. weird um ffgs FFG. lcgs yeah mm -hmm. will do that a lot they'll have two separate rule books and i i find it really helpful for marvel champions because it explains the game the game flow everything that could kind of happen in the game and then basically as an appendix that dives really deep yep. on these questions you have but in this case like um it, it seems like a very simple game but the, the every time we've played it except for up to now i think we're really good um at the rules but we've like had questions almost every single play but that appendix will answer it it's somewhere in there mm -hmm. good luck finding it sometimes you have to like really yeah. know what this will fall into as far as uh, categories Get go keywords or yeah. something yeah because yeah, exactly. you're doing keywords but everything's in there everything i i haven't had to go on bgg and and look things yeah up. i mean it's good it's ffg by the way as well so that's their style i think is having like a, an index and then a game flow rule book uh, new, new, new angeles is ffg oh, okay. as well so that's that's exactly what i'm talking about um i was going to mention also um some not organized well rule books is what i have here i feel like cosmic encounter was kind of chaotic a little bit um yeah. Welcome to Centerville had a really weird, people really like GMT rule books because they're really clear. The weird thing is I remember having to like really um, find who wins the game or like the game winning <laughs> condition, which is the weirdest thing. Because usually in like uh, most rule books, you look at the end, right? Where it explains like at the end of the game, you do final scoring. In GMT rule books, apparently it's like, this is how the game goes. This is how, who wins and then explain the rules in detail and the actions in detail. Mm -hmm. So the, the end, and there's like, it just ends with like some kind of action explanation. So you need to like go to like page three or something to see the game flow and game end scoring, which is like the weirdest thing. And maybe it's a GMT thing, I'm not, I'm not used to it, but that was a really surprising yeah, thing I was, for me. I was gonna say, if you play a lot of war games and you're like GMT war games, you know, you get really comfortable with the rule book. So I think that's why people would like them. You know, mm -hmm. I think there's a, a style to most publishing companies. And if you're playing a lot of their games, you get really cozy with the way that they outline things mm -hmm. and you know exactly uh, where to find things at. But, it, but it, like, you know, if it's something kind of funny and you're not used to it, then uh, good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, a really funny example from Tramban, actually, the two-player game I played last week. Um, a rule was kind of on pictures only. 
there's a market of cards and then nowhere in the text does it say that it's a market of cards but it has two pictures which clearly show a market of three cards and you're like well i guess it's a market of three cards so it's kind of <laughs> hilarious it's like not even mentioned and the word market is not even mentioned i almost wonder if it's like mis mistranslation but mm -hmm. it's kind of funny um kind of a pet peeve of mine maybe it has to go with game design so to justine's point maybe it's not the fault of the rule book but sometimes there's too much theme in the game uh, i think we've talked about it on the podcast before um there's things like sometimes you bolster and um uh, haven is what i'm thinking of actually um in haven there's cards which are called artifacts and there's like seekers and then there's lore symbols or uh, basically they're cards and instead of calling them cards in the middle or something or like you know they call them like place the artifacts you don't discard you sacrifice yeah you sacrifice yeah. so yeah. it's just like reading the rule book was like a pain you have to re i had to like come back and read some sections twice because i was like what the heck is there they talking about like make sure you acquire the lore symbol and like you place it under the artifacts and then it's just like what so like too much theme maybe is yeah, what I, it comes down to is like using keyword like not board gaming keywords not like not like place a worker here it's like uh you uh, um, penetrate the embassy or something, or it's just like or Vroom, or Vroom. I don't know. Just I love Vroom. using unusual using unusual things. I mean, it's fine that you want to force theme into it, but I don't think that's the way to force theme into it. Unfortunately, yeah, that's the thing is forcing theme. I talked about this when I was talking about Undaunted Normandy. Mm -hmm. How the cards will instead of say like draw a card, it's like bolster or whatever you yeah. know, and and that's like you have to learn the terminology terminology and then the rules yeah and it's like you're making this just too like it's Unpleasant. not yeah like i could i can imagine that these people on a board are fighting in a war even if i'm playing a card that says draw a card yeah like that's fine so listening to all of this is it possible we're too picky because so far i can sum this up as have theme not too much have pictures not too much Emphasize the important rules, not too much. <laughs> Use words, not too much. Well, I mean, there's a balance and spectrum for everything, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, We're just saying, like, fall in the middle. No, actually, I would say writing rule books is kind of an art. It's kind of like writing a book, actually. Um, they used to be technical manuals of, like, white pawn moves to space this and gets five coins. Now it's like... Uh, it's like a weird meld of like history, theme, humor, and it yeah. kind of takes an art to do it properly, yeah, I think, utility. nowadays. Yeah. So it's, it, um, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of uh, publishers, I think, don't really spend that much money on it, probably, to be honest, because they're probably like, eh, people will ask questions and eventually figure out the rules and like the game's important. We should throw all the money in the game. So I bet it's kind of a tough decision to like pay someone to actually do it properly and design nice examples and draw art for for everything mm -hmm. and I, I bet that's what's happening i so. do think that stonemeyer games has really great rule books and they're really mm -hmm. pretty and i mean the like wingspan was like linen finish mm -hmm. you know they didn't spare any money there but uh, but every game that i've read the rules for i've had like almost no complaints about it yeah um but i would i would say that it's probably more talented to write a rule book than it would be to write a book i mean uh you're like writing a story but in this you're like writing a story and rules 
and you have to articulate them in a way that everybody's going to understand. That's mm -hmm. it's like it's I'm sure it's really tough. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that. Like if you're writing a book, it's pretty subjective like what message people get from it with a with a Yeah, and you're going to have an can't. editor, so, you know. Yeah. Um and I'm sure writers of rule books have editors too. I'm almost positive actually. How do you guys feel about history and rule books? We haven't really talked about that much. I think there's some really cool examples. I remember Xi'an, actually, kind of a simple game, but the rule book taught a lot of like history about the city of the clay army and why it was there. And actually, some games have gone to like um, the length of explaining the the theme and the historical significance of specific actions, um, even probably like a feast for autumn, actually. Uh, I mean, it probably explains like every single action, what's actually you're doing thematically, which is kind of really cool. Um, another game, uh, Tinner's Trail, um, has to do with mining. So I learned some stuff about mining in Lancashire, actually, where brass is taking place. Lewis and Clark, brass, um, those games have some thematic elements, which are really cool. I really like when they put history in the rule book, but I like it the best when it's like like Feast for Odin, the way they do it, where it's an entirely separate rule book. Um, it's just the uh, the appendix, I think yeah. is what it's called. It, it doesn't force and you to read it. Yeah, as you're you go not through forced to read it as you go through. <laughs> it's off to the side. But like, it's, what do I do with these red cubes? Oh, I have to sort through. Yeah, <laughs> two it's centuries of Viking history. Great for when you're playing Feast for Odin and you've got a player who has AP like crazy and then you just pull that out and read it it's great learn a lot about viking lore and viking history and yeah i, I love history and rule books and mm -hmm. I, I like when it's in, in the beginning it tells you what the game is about and gives you a piece of knowledge and then it gives you this appreciation for the game too and while you're reading the book if you've read that intro part you almost feel like mm -hmm. there's a little like Easter eggs for you in the mechanics, mm -hmm. like oh, that they're doing this because of of the the historical facts. That's really neat. I yeah. would not, however, start your rules explanation with that um, history piece. That's probably not the way to go when you're teaching the game. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you could summarize it. I've seen, yeah, I've seen, but I mean, I've seen that happen a couple out times. Loud, it's, it's a reference to good. something that happened two weeks ago. We were next to a table and they were reading the rules out loud, starting with the history, the backstory. Yeah, I would say. Read rule books at home. If you haven't, don't bring the game expecting to play it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think, though, that you actually miss out on some of the theme by not reading the rule book or like, I don't know, some of the, like you miss like a connection to the game, I think, sometimes by not reading the rule book. Yeah, you, so actually, you have I, a thing where you yeah. really like to read the rule book, even if somebody already has, yeah. just for your own. And it, it could also give you a little insight to strategy as yeah. well when uh, you're reading it. Yeah, yeah, insight to strategy, insight to like the brain of the designer, the way he thinks, uh, insight to like historical connections that you might have missed, uh, thematic ties. Like uh, it just makes the game come alive more, I think, if you read the rule books. I think if you just go and get taught games, I think you're kind of missing out just a little bit of the games by not reading the rule books. Actually. Definitely, I would agree mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. Not too much, but just a little bit. I mean, you're still playing the game, but it's more fun, I think, the other way. All right. Well, there you have it. Our opinions of rule books. Up next, our top three space games. Space-themed games. 
So uh, as I was going through my list, my first question was like, if we're doing space themed games and I'm, I'll be interested to hear your guys's lists um, because I really focused on like the exploration piece. I mean, there are games that are set in space where you're on another planet, like terraforming Mars, for example, but you're not necessarily like in space. So are we defining space as like anything not earth or are we defining space as like actual like space? Everything is in space. Yeah. We're in space right now Whoa! <laughs> because the earth is in space. <laughs> <laughs> no, I also struggled with the same thing. Actually, I was wondering like, is this an exploration theme thing or is this like a space mm -hmm. thing? I kind of leaned towards the exploration and Me excluded too. some games maybe just because they were a little bit not too spacey. Um, I think the sense of discovery has to kind of come across. So I, to me, like games like Lifeform are more like a dungeon crawler. Yeah. Games like Sidereal Confluence are too like a negotiation-y, even though you're like in space. But mm -hmm. I mean, it's like a negotiation game. So I mean, it, if you guys put them on, it works. But yeah. to me, it was more more about like the sense of being traveling, I guess. Yeah. All my games take place in space for the most part. And mm -hmm. <laughs> for the most part, I, I, should, I, I sure hope I'll, so. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I'll explain one yeah. of them. All right. But also, um, these games, uh, I've, I feel like there's actually a lot of great space games, which I kind of realized. Um, these ones were what I found is like great mechanics. And the theme does feel to come through, uh, especially if you have an imagination. Mm -hmm. because space can be a stand-in just vanilla empty canvas for this game is really abstract what theme do i just want to throw at it space, space. usually works mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so I, oh sorry i do feel though that space is kind of a little bit less mm, actually maybe with mars games that has changed recently but like it's tougher to play space games i think in general Maybe in our group. I don't know. I feel Talk like to get them played. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like if you bring a space game, people assume it's like a four X like game, and it's like take that, and it's long, and it has technology, and um, you need to know stuff. Twilight Imperium's yeah. influence, basically yep. TI's influence. So yeah. that I think that has like a shadow on all space games, which some of them aren't. That but, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into it. Number three. So my number three space game is kind of a surprise. This might be recency bias. Um, it is Eclipse. Um, this is another one of the recent, or er, not recent, but early purchases Matt and I made. Um, and we actually really enjoyed playing it two player. And then we played it with um, some people who don't do so well with uh, Take that e combat games and it kind of soured me on it but i recently had a chance to play it with um some people in our group who are really fun and uh it was actually even though it did take six hours um it was i kind of enjoyed it now looking back on it i was kind of ticked off honestly for the after, right after we got done playing because it did like take my whole Saturday but I think that was just having six players new many players, of them right? fairly new yeah um but I mean the game itself is pretty solid it's not for people who don't like interaction which is weird that I like it it's um 
it's not for people who don't want to get into fights. You're going to get into fights. You're going to have to attack other people. But it's about like picking your spot and knowing when to go after. You've played this and you've played TI4. Yes. How do they compare? I mean, I know you actually really didn't enjoy your play of TI4. I did not enjoy my play of TI4. But do Um, they feel similar though? I think they're similar. This takes out all of the like negotiating that happens in TI4 which for some people is like a deal breaker because that's what they play TI for. Right. for. Um, <laughs> but... <Sorry. laughs> this is funny. <laughs> four, four. Four, four. four. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty similar. I think there's this extra element of like you have the ships, you're building your ships. Um, I don't remember if there's that in TI4. I kind of... Sp- don't rem- I blank I blinked it You're out. It was such an awful it. memory. <laughs> I did space it. Um, uh, yeah, it's TI4 light. Just my last game didn't end up being very light. I haven't played TI4, but just like there's a lot less negotiation in politics. There's an entire politics phase which like doesn't exist. Yeah. In, uh, Eclipse is just like, well, you can talk about stuff, but there's nothing formalized. And there's a huge ship customization thing, which yeah. I think is the cool thing in Eclipse. And it's actually really cool. That's something I really enjoyed in it. Um, there's like you're doing like an energy balanced ship and you can put energy into offense or defense mm-hmm. or like targeting and it's really cool that's different and it's one of those things where like the stories do come through like in the game i played i ended up having a really kind of a fun setup where basically i spent all my energy on defense so all my ships were basically just tanks with a little tiny gun that just did like a tiny amount of damage at not very high chance but man you had to like really hit to kill my ships and so it was really funny at the very end i ended up against another player who went exactly the opposite he had no defense on his ships and he had outfitted them with missiles which always hit first and so he'd like come into my hex with all of his ships roll 24 dice hit me twice and then have to basically run away and then he had I was no gonna, guns which yeah. was hilarious no was, guns so no it's just guns, like no you defense. either you either hit with one one hit and the thing is dead or you run away that's that was kind of hilarious uh uh-huh, yeah it was pretty funny so stuff like that happens in eclipse okay my number three is mission red planet i think this game really captures the excitement of you know three two one blast off <laughs> and it also captures like um the idea that space travel is risky and you might not make it to the planet or you might make it to the wrong place yeah it's hilarious <laughs> because you swap out people's pilots and stuff yeah. and things like that happen like real life in real life like when they mess up inches and centimeters and <laughs> they hit mars going too fast and the thing explodes um the intrigue that starts on planet continues off planet because you can like slide cards under certain regions and you can kind of treat moons as forward operating bases to kind of colonize the planet. And then there's different exposed or not exposed areas of the planet that you have to kind of strategize around as you're collecting the resources. Um, the meeples are little astronaut meeples that really get you into the vibe. Uh, my number three is a Kiesling and Kramer game called Reworld. It, um, <clears throat> this is the one that I said like, does it really take place in space? Because you're on a planet loading up resources on a ship. Mm, I think it definitely qualifies. Yeah. The whole game is loading up resources to drop them off at the end of the game. 
So what I found very interesting about this game is your it's like the game of thinking ahead. And everything on your ship it has to go in a certain order, and then it has to be unloaded opposite of the order in which you're putting them in. So it's this really brain burny puzzle of like where when do I put this stuff in? Also, like what am I gonna get later rounds that's gonna come off my ship? first which is a very interesting thought and then at the end of the game i guess you're flying off and delivering these things so like that's the space part of it but um i put this on my list for creativity and like i haven't played a game anything like it before and uh, i really enjoyed reworld um i feel like that's a perfect example of like a business simulation of inventory lifo inventory last in first out and yeah and efficiency and, uh, with that yeah. warehousing so if you do well and are excited about that game you should look into like a warehouse manager job or something i don't know no thanks that's what i, I just think. want it in the game that's what i think sometimes <laughs> yeah um also i really like mission red planet um it's pretty trolly though sometimes you go to the wrong place and it's like really painful but it's it's fun. It's it's over quickly at least. <laughs> no, it's really fun actually. It's a really good game. Uh, my number three is Race for the Galaxy. I've previously talked about it just on the last podcast, so we should probably not spend too much talking about it. Really awesome game. I feel like um, first time players are probably going to be like, eh, I don't know if this really comes across. But the more you play it, the more the theme comes across of like you're exploring worlds and the cards in your hand are possible options that you're thematically like going to. Um, so you're like exploring and acquiring or uh, defeating uh, whatever uh, militaristically more and more worlds which are, are added to your federation of planets or whatever and um, the person with the most planets may win I like the <laughs> art in this game a lot the art like is really yeah. nice uh, it's very like weird art it's a little bit older now but it kind of it I think the theme comes across. Um, some people disagree, I think, but I, I think the exploration theme comes across. So Race for a Galaxy, number three. Number two. Uh, my number two is higher on somebody else's list. So to you. All right, my number two is Black Angel. Um, again, the meeples help it out because they're little flying saucers. They're so cute. Um, but Black Angel kind of captures maybe, well, if you lose Black Angel, it means you didn't get to the planet, right? So you're just drifting off into space endlessly and that's terrifying. Um, so it captures kind of the, that horror element from a lot of space movies. Um, another one it captures is a lot of space movies have there be a traitor on board. And sometimes in Black Angel, when somebody rushes it, I feel like they're betraying us, you know? <laughs> like they're Hal turning against us at the end. I think George Clooney and Solaris gets pretty evilly. And then you're just out there, desolate and alone, and somebody's trying to screw you over. And that's what it feels like Bishop in and Black aliens. Angel. Yeah, yeah, like when Hurst rushes the game, I feel like an alien just burst out of his chest and is like standing on the table <laughs> trying to troll me. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, uh, Black Angel is an honorable mention of mine. Yeah, I, I just haven't played it enough for me to uh, to really. I don't know. It, it will probably would if we do this game. If we do this list, like um, like a couple years from now, I think it would make it. Also, the more planets you colonize, the more the game maybe punishes you, and I like that. Like, if you have the hubris to think that, oh, we're humans and we just get to conquer everything, maybe there's some unintended consequences. I oh, yeah. Like that. You don't colonize, you trade. But 
same idea. Humans trading with other people. It's never a good thing. My number two is absolutely does it take place in space. It's in the name. It's Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space. It's taking place on a ship in outer space. Mm -hmm. It's a hidden movement game. And one of my favorites, it's an older game that got reprinted a few years ago. And it's like dry erase boards. And there's, Mm -hmm. there's different... Um, ships like there's a whole bunch of dry race boards that you can use and like play like different levels and different size ships but uh, there's two teams there's the alien team and the human team and the aliens are trying to eat up the humans which turns them into aliens and there is that humans are trying to escape out of escape pods but the thing is is the ship is all like the power's gone out so you don't know who you're in front of and you don't know who's on your team and who's not so funny situations could happen where an alien can eat an alien and i've seen it happen and unfortunately it was the person who owned the game who was trying to get it played several times <laughs> and finally got it played and was like eliminated the first round by another alien, which was really funny for everybody except for him. Um, but I like this, like I'm in the dark mm-hmm. feeling my way through and the art on the cards come through really well on that because it looks like just like silhouettes almost of people like there's just like a little bit of light on their face and everything else is black and it's just a it's just a good time that's really thematic but also like some decisions of which way should i go to different pods you're top decking to get out of the uh the to get into the escape pod which is kind of funny because you could top deck and it just doesn't grant you access so you have to go to another one um but i think that feeds into the theme of the game too you go up to the escape pod and it's not working you know But uh, I found this game to be really fun and very replayable and you could ramp it up too by having like um, roles in the game and like, you know, special character abilities and whatnot and um, and like certain events happening. And I thought it was really cool. That is Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space, which is how it should be said every time you're talking about it. I really like that game as well. I feel like we should play more hidden movement games. I really like the genre, but for some reason... They don't get played as much. Um, the theme comes across really well. It was really fun when I played it. And yeah, it's an awesome game. Uh, my number two is actually higher on someone else's list, I'm pretty sure. So we'll talk about it later. Number one. So my number one is um, Gaia Project. This is by the same people that did Terra Mystica. It's a re-implementation of it. I like Terra Mystica better, um, but Gaia Project is still a pretty, it's a solid game. It's enjoyable. The space theme really comes across. Um, The main difference is that, I mean, you're never gonna get like cut off like you are in Terra Mystica. Um, And it's just a pretty solid game. I think it's, also somebody else's number one so we can talk about it more it's my number two actually oh okay um to me gaia project is the brass brass birmingham to brass lancashire i have the same feelings about it but brass lancashire is kind of older and more constricted um same thing with Terra Mystica, older and more constricted, but they're both like kind of the same game to me, in my brain at least. 
I know Justine and Matt favor Terramistic a lot to me. They're kind of equal-ish. Um, Gaia Project's more open, more friendly, kind of like Brass Birmingham, in my opinion. So, awesome game, yeah. Um, it just has to be my number two. It's a um, really cool game. I have fun every time I play it. Exactly. It's, it's awesome. It's weird because it's a perfect information game, technically. Uh, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like you can kind of flex in a weird way. Maybe it's the brain thing that other people are doing. You think people are going to do something, but maybe they're doing something else. So that kind of makes it fresh. So you're not, yeah, there's a lot of interactions. I think that's actually what the secret is. Because if it's a perfect information game and you're solitaire, then it gets kind of stale for me. But there's a lot of interaction and blocking in uh, Guy Project, which makes it really fun. And there's a good sense of not necessarily discovery, but expansion and just kind of progression yeah the what bonus cards are left is kind of player driven randomness um i think the color wheel really lends itself to the idea of there being different planet types and it's kind of like there's a continuum of hospitability to you depending on what color you are but other than that i don't think the space theme comes through enough for it to have made my list it could just have taken place on earth for instance, Terra Mystica. Speaking of theme, I think it really comes across in asymmetric games in general, and in this one in particular, like when you play a race, you're like you feel really connected to the race. Uh, that's a feature of asymmetric games. That's why I like them. But you like when you're playing like the Baltox or something, you're like, I am the Baltox, and I'm going to make this planet into like dirt or whatever. You know, just like it, it comes across for me at least, which makes it fun. Yeah, the the theme, I like the, the races and stuff. The theme comes across that way. Okay, my number one is Pulsar. Um, so I think that Pulsar uh, uses the space theme to cover up some things I usually don't like in games. Uh, when you're exploring, uh, you do tile flippy stuff in Pulsar, but I'm okay with the tiles being different and crazy because imagine flying through space. You don't know what planets you're going to find, and so if they're different and crazy, it's more forgivable to me. And it also kind of uh, bends thermodynamics in a way that's more acceptable than other games. For example, I don't care. You can just say la la space word surrounding a pulsar with a big ring and it makes energy. Shut up. That's what happens. Because interstellar flight is already science fiction. So I'm already suspending my disbelief. Um, an example where I don't suspend my disbelief is like in Barrage, where you're putting all this energy into making water flow uphill and somehow you're producing more energy and you're like that's not how it happens but since i'm on earth i don't want to forgive it as much because it's taking place in my universe where that's not how thermodynamics work tesla and mechs are involved though so it's okay uh, mm, all right okay we're, i'm going to show you the map to barrage i don't think we're making water flow uphill but <laughs> yeah there's two instances it's, of where it goes uphill 100 it's kind of sideways so you could make the argument that it's like terrace i don't know if you've seen terrace basically like one corner is higher than two other corners and then the final corner is the anyway. lowest. But anyway, yeah, it's like diagonal. Um, it's also on your list, Tristo. Uh, it is, actually. Pulsar is a really kind of a masterpiece of design for me. Um, I mean, talk about the first thing that the dice rolls, you draw a normal distribution on them, you find the median, but not just the median, you mark the skew of the distribution and the resources you get are not BS like reroll tokens or something dumb. They're actually things you can use in the game for reasons and they have nothing to do with the dice. They're just like part of the game. So it makes a decision of just which draft, which dice to draft. Um, really interesting. Do you want high numbers, but to fail on these tracks, which give you like 
activation tokens basically for some other stuff or do you want to do less powerful stuff but get those activation tokens or turn order which might help you secure technologies has a really cool technology arc i really like technologies and games that's a big draw for me that's an aspect i really liked in eclipse as well um just makes it makes you gradually asymmetric which entails like a story of what you're doing maybe which is really cool uh, the exploration aspect is really awesome. I actually played a game called Elite, um, old PC game, kind of really famous. It got remade, um, so it kind of reminds me of that. I kind of look for Shia uh, or Zia or whatever. I'm expecting to be that same way. Um, basically, the uh, freelancer is a lamer, in my opinion, remake of it. Basically, you're a ship commander and you can be like anything sandbox you can be a pirate you can be a mercenary you can be a pickup and deliver guy you can be a miner so that that's kind of those games remind me of that kind of vibe pulsar is my number two kind of for the same reasons um my favorite aspect of it is the technology and uh you have your own personal player board with like a tech tree that you need to f well you don't need to but you can fulfill i think that's just really fun and i like yeah it makes you gradually asymmetrical i'm stubborn about pulsar i think it's a great game i think i'm i, I the few times i played it, it i wasn't good at it so i'm just like my brain says you don't like this game <laughs> but i think i do actually don't and, make me do it again <laughs> and um i really like just the theme of it pulsars are terrifying like you know neutron stars and, and and pulsars and if there's a planet orbiting them i don't know if you've seen this in space documentaries but they are really strange they're orbiting at an extreme rate and they're like shaking violently and i always wanted to like see a movie or maybe even a board game that has like aliens from a planet that that orbits like a neutron star or like that's involved in a pulsar and they're all shaky. Uh, this was Risto's choice for board game movie. Do you remember for Halloween uh -huh. when that's we made right. horror movies? Risto chose this. Yeah. All right. So that's my idea, idea mixed with your idea, yeah. we got gold here. Pulsar. Patent pending everyone. Back off. Pulsars are the ones that like they spin and send out in a straight line like the radiation yeah it's and a neutron just, star right and, yeah. the, and the beams of light is the pulsars and if one just happens it, to it, cross earth we're I'm all not, dead and there's nothing we can do about it yeah. we no actually it. i think all of them a lot of them cross earth at very regular intervals there's actually an idea to make a navigational system that replaces gps with pulsar emissions <laughs> i've read about it so like we don't with pulsars they don't stop like GPS is sabotageable. Like if it goes down, it goes down and you're screwed. Pulsars don't go down. So that's the benefit of making it work. If yeah, they're predictable. They're okay, predictable. Yeah, they're like periodic, very periodic. So you, uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, my number one is an old game that got reprinted. Uh, it comes with the old version and the new version. And I've only played the new version and it's Merchant of Venus. Merchant of Venus is, for me, when I play it, feels like Futurama, the board game. Like you're picking up and delivering and you're upgrading your ship. And it's funny enough, it's roll and move, but you move up to the amount and you can get a die on your ship that can um, help you with more movement. Um, it doesn't get played enough because it's actually a really long game. I've only played it two player and... 
maybe four players would be really long and it's also a nightmare to set up there's so many chits it's amazing and they all have to be stacked in individual stacks in a particular order it takes a really long time also i felt like a defeat um, against the rulebook because I actually learned it and I don't want to jump into it again. It was like a choose your own adventure rulebook. Speaking of rulebooks, um, <laughs> like it would say the hell thing, like uh, more on this later. And I didn't want to carry on because I'm like, no, I'm there right now. All this is on my mind. So I would flip to that page that it would yeah. say, we'll cover this on this and page. It's like more on this later. Yeah. <laughs> so I felt like I was going back and forth in the rule book and it was like really hurting my brain. But I finally finished it and and, and I got it down and I had it set up for like two weeks the before the first time I played it. And it finally got played. And we have, uh, you know, nephews and nieces that come over and I had to be like, the table's off limits, don't touch it. Um, but once I finally played it, it was like a great experience. It was a lot of fun. It actually almost feels like sandboxy in a way because you can go kind of wherever you want. You could pick up um, people. You could, you sometimes have to fight pirate, space pirates and, and whatnot. I think the theme comes through a lot. I think it's crazy that this game came out in like the 70s. And of course, like I played the updated version, which I've actually heard that the older version's better. It's just the flip side of the board and a different rule book. It's a completely different rule book. Um, so I should try that sometime, but it is a lot of fun. That's my number one, Merchant of Venus. Um, I just wanted to have a round of honorable mentions, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. So Eminent Domain, I have really high expectations for that game still. I played it one time and I really loved it. I think it could be like a really cool game, very similar to Race for the Galaxy, but deck building and like really multi-use card deck building weird game. Uh, I just don't think we're going to play it here. Maybe I'll play it with other people, TBD. Uh Soul, Last Days of a Star, is a really cool game. Um, I don't know if anyone's played it or even heard of it. It's like, um, I don't know how to even describe it. It's like uh, you're a re you're trying to mine the sun for energy to escape the solar system because it's collapsing. You're trying to make shapes with ships, and you're trying to they co like collapse into buildings, and you're trying to use those buildings to uh, mine stuff. Do you have it? I have it, yeah. We, we can, bring I it. Think, I wanted yeah. to play it. Uh, the downside of that game, the game is awesome, but I feel like it's one, too short, and two, the cards are a little bit too swingy. You'll see what I mean. The cards are a little bit too random, so that kind of brings the game down a little bit, but it's a really cool idea, really fresh, really awesome. Uh, Cosmic Encounter and Sidereal Confluence, they're awesome games. Both of them are really cool. Cosmic Encounter was actually going to be my number three, but I feel, felt like it was like too negotiation-y. Um, but there's a reason it's been reprinted like four times now um, from 1977 and people are playing a 1977 game. Again, you feel like you are the alien, like you are the void or something. And it's really cheesy, but it really works. And it's really awesome. Really fun. Both those games would be on a top 10 space theme list yeah. for sure for me. Yeah. yeah, But that's my honorable missions. Uh, Junk Orbit. Great game. You're like sailing around space with a ship and you're like ejecting junk and it's like based on the move, Newtonian physics. Funny, yeah. yeah. But it's also the same junk that you're trying to, it's great. I love it. Um, so junk orbit, uh, sidereal confluence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yes, Robert, I like sidereal confluence. Um, you convinced me. Um, any other honorable mentions? 
I not guess, for me. Terraforming Mars. I mean, it's not my favorite game out there, but I mean, the cards are cool. The science behind it's neat. It's a thing for me. I'm yeah. just there. I'm done with it. it yeah, yeah, it's kind of there. Too. On Mars might make it. Yeah. I'm expecting on Mars to make it. Yeah. yeah. I just I think the like the research they put into the cards is really cool. I wish they would have spent a little bit of time on the art for the cards, but anyway, yeah. Honorable mentions for you? Uh, no, none for me. Oh man, you just set with like these are the three. <laughs> um, no doubt. Uh, mostly everything that Justine and and uh, Risto mentioned, but also flip ships. Um, Got to give some love to the dexterity. <laughs> side of of space uh clank in space is oh, like i forgot about that it's yeah. like i thought about that as well really fun and like the theme is like you'll see star trek in there you'll see star wars mm-hmm. like you'll see futurama like nibbler basically is like one of the cards it calls it something else obviously everything is like something else but um obviously like a hard wink toward a lot of cool sci-fi um movies and such uh and laser riders just a stupid fun game where basically uh, Christo said this, that they took the measuring sticks from um, miniature uh, gaming. Yeah. From um, in particular star Wars. Oh, X-wing, X-wing yeah. and turned it into a game. Uh, it's basically like um, Tron. Cause you're like flying through space, but you're leaving trails behind that people could run into. And it's just like super fun. Uh, it looks very eighties. It, is trying to be because it comes in a box that looks like a VHS collection and it's just like and it's it really is like the game came out in the 80s like there was a lot of those 80s games where you're just like kind of like miniature games where you're yeah, like yeah, yeah. going around on a on a map or whatever and just like doing stuff but you're just trying to get to certain goals first you're trying to hit three of these little like things it's like a race but it's a non-linear race and that you could cut off people so it's uh, a lot of fun so those are my honorable mentions and that will be our show thanks for listening to us and if you've listened this long maybe you like the show and if you do we would uh, please ask that you give us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on uh, check out our social media pages. We got a Facebook page, which is Cards and Cubes. We have an Instagram page. We also have a website, which is just www.cardsandcubes.com. Um, you could also email us from the website or email us at cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com. SaltCon is putting the flavor back in gaming. Uh, that is happening March 5th through the 8th. And we will have a presence there. More on that later. We'd like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and Kirsten Adams for creating our logo. You can find Kirsten Adams on Instagram at Cat Coffee. Uh, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. Uh, we have another podcast that comes out of this store. If you like Star Wars Legion, it's all Star Wars Legion. It's called Edo First Legion. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye.